Very cool. All right, let's get into this morning. If you've got your Bible, you could open it anywhere because it's all good. And I didn't get a chance. No, 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 it's not like that. We're ready to um, go. Up on the screen, I've got a few passages for you this morning. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Matthew 11:28. 28. Come to me and find rest for your soul. Acts 17, 27, seek him, reach for him. He is not far from anyone. As opposed to new information in life, often what we need more than new information is reminding of things that we already know. And mostly not reminding of things we already know but have forgotten, just reminding of things that we know to be important but kind of we've let it slip off the radar or we've just got a little bit slack in it or we've just been a little bit lazy in regards to it. Uh, Last week we talked about it amongst a few different other things, this this idea of like, uh, I mentioned like being a history maker in this land and the challenges of that when you're struggling to be a history maker in your cul-de-sac. But I talked about the idea of being faithful in your commitment to small acts of history making excellence. Being faithful in your commitment to small acts of history-making excellence. And uh, I mentioned uh, one time when I was 14, 15, uh, I had an interview to get a job at Burger King. And uh, the interview was on the Friday, but on the Monday I broke my arm skateboarding. So I went to the interview on the Friday. I was in a cast, unable to do anything. But the manager of Burger King said to me, come back when your arm's healed because you're exactly the kind of person we'd like to employ. And uh, I, don't, I don't think he was a Christ follower. I don't think that had come out of an hour's prayer in the morning. But I think somehow God used that as this little moment of history-making excellence that, that, that spoke to me and called to me. And, and, and I was like, I'm exactly the kind of person that... that I'm, I'm somebody that could do something. And, and for whatever reason, at that moment, at that time, at that place, him saying those words, there was something more going on. Uh, and yet we're called to be people that commit to small acts, faithfulness, faithful acts of history-making excellence. And, and most often they're with our spouse or with our kids or with our family members or with our neighbors. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about it, but you know, maybe once or twice a year you might be sitting in a pool drinking a pina colada, but that's not really what life is made up of. Life's made up of an hour each night sitting around the dinner table with the family. There's seven hours a week, and you times that by 360, this 365 hours, and then it's made up of kind of, you know, greeting your kids when they get home, or you get, oh, there's 10 minutes, but that's multiplied over the course of a day, and then it's made up of needing to do a few chores and kind of work together as a team, well, there's a couple of hours a week, and you, you put all of those little things together, and you realize most of life's made up of all these kind of little moments, and if you actually get the little moments right with each other, you start to get most of life right with each other, and, and, and yet it's easy, and we forget with the people that are closest to us to speak words of kindness and to, and to do something extravagant for our husband every now and then or something extravagant for our wife or something for the kids. And it's actually those little things that, that bring the whole thing alive. We all know that, and yet it's easy to forget that, and the people that we're most short with are the people that are closest to us. So sometimes we just be to be reminded rather than instructed. So this morning I want to do a little bit of um, reminding. First I want to put on, try to put on one screen, a bit of a summary of what we've we've been talking about at the start of this year. So uh, up on the, there you go, that's our little thing that we're going to fill in. We've acknowledged this year 
that sometimes life is these burning bush experiences. Sometimes when we come on a Sunday, uh, you go having felt like you encountered God, you heard a message from God, there was something that was said just for you, and you're so glad that you didn't miss it. Sometimes passionate pastors tell you, you need to be here next week because it's going to be a burning bush experience, but I don't think as a pastor you can guarantee that. God just has a way of doing different things in different people's lives at different moments. The classic thing is when I finish up preaching, feeling like I have nailed the sermon, and people start walking up to me straight away, and I'm like, oh yeah, here we go, did a good job. And the opening line is, did you see the bout caps? Do you see how much they lost by? Isn't that amazing? What do you think is going to happen with the worries? And you're like, I'm pretty sure I just did a pretty good job with the sermon. And then other times you finish your sermon, and you're like, man, I wish the ground would just swallow me up and I never have to do again that again and you know there's a queue of people now that that was amazing that really spoke to me just do that each Sunday kind of thing and it leaves you as a pastor going well this is impossible kind of thing but the reality is because you just don't know what's going to speak to people and what's going to not and it could be the song it could be the sermon it could be the conversation over coffee but every now and then we have these burning bush experiences and you don't know when that'll be at church so you kind of need to hedge your bedges, hedge your bets and just kind of come along but they don't just happen at church. I, I mentioned I kind of had one in an interview at Burger King many years ago. That was, that was maybe a burning bush experience. So we have those moments. But life is often lived in the trenches of parenting or husbanding or wifing or working or looking after the lawns, all these kinds of things. This is little Pollyanna, not my daughter, hopefully not yours. But she's got Hershey's chocolate sauce, and she's decided that the best thing you can do for a white sofa is just massage that in good and give it a good, a good coating in Hershey's. And, you know, trying to, trying to get, you know, the, the world on one page, just getting your family on page, one page can be a challenge. But uh, whoever that is in the background, Duke and Daisy, they're ready to go as soon as she hops out of the way. But, but so often life's lived in the trenches, and yet that's the space in which we are invited to, um, to be attentive to, to stay tuned in. It's in that space, in the trenches, that we're invited into faithful moments of history-making excellence. In, in the middle of the trenches, in the middle of the, the ordinariness. That's the space in which we're, commit to, we're to commit to growing holy, whole, and wholesome. Uh, those are the spaces where it's the set of the sails and not the gales that determine our direction in life. That's a famous poem, but uh, it's the set of the sails and not the gales that determine our direction in life. And it's in the trenches that we kind of set ourselves and we work out where we're aiming and what direction that we're going in uh, to mix up the metaphors. And then at the same time as setting the sails, we've got to be anchored and committed and, and present to the trenches of life as well as to the burning bush experiences. Because the only life you get to live, this life of faith, is the actual life that you have. So we embrace the life that we've had. It's, it's, it's wonderful twice a year pina colada in the pool moments. And then most of it's Hershey chocolate sauce spread along the couch moments, which manifests out itself in your workplace and with extended family and with friends and all sorts. And in your faithful following of the black caps, of course, it's just lows. But uh, with the worries, this is our year. So that's a prophetic word for you. This is our year. So we're looking forward to that. With, uh, if you don't know, I'm a cricket and rugby league diehard. But... Uh, this is the context in which we live that life of faith. This collectively becomes something of a life of faith, to, to, to be attentive, to be tuned in. What is this life of faith? Faith is the uh, intellectual assent to a particular story. I don't want to make that sound overly intellectual, but we hear the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus. It's something that we come to believe in, something that we come to understand. But, but it's not simply an understanding or a belief, 
Uh, we're called to embodied fidelity, to live the way of Jesus in the world that we find ourselves in, embodied fidelity. But that kind of requires what I've called existential trust, which is just to trust God with your very existence. Uh, whoever, uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? Well, you can embody that, but that calls you to some trust. What am, what am I trusting here? Uh, whoever holds tightly to life will lose it, but whoever holds loosely and it sometimes feels like life slipping through your fingers, actually you'll discover fullness of life and wholesome life. It's like, oh, that, that's, a, that's a story. That's, a, that's something that you come to kind of believe and then you kind of enact it. And then there's this kind of like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting my life to this. I'm putting my faith in this. I've got to see how this is going to unfold for me. Existential trust. Uh, Maybe another way, though, that you could talk about that is to talk about imagination and to talk about practice and to talk about faith. The intellectual ascent is more that sense of having our imaginations captured, uh, enraptured, caught up in alternative possibilities of, of what, it, what it could be like to be human, what it could be like to follow. There's this, there's this, our, our imagination gets caught up in these alternative possibilities. The Sermon on the Mount, when we did that, I described it as God's alternative plan for human flourishing. Oh, what would it be like to have our imaginations captured by God's alternative plan for human flourishing that doesn't kind of look like ours. And, and flourishing doesn't, we don't define that like the world would find, define flourishing. And the plan is upside down in all sorts of ways. But man, that, oh, there's something kind of beautiful about that. Well, that calls us to, well, what, what would it look like to practice ways of enacting that in our lives? And so we, we practice this way. And that calls us to faith, to belief, to trust, to like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm going to go this way. And we'll We'll see how it unfolds. Now, all of this is outworked in everyday life, of course, the trenches and the burning bush experiences, but, it, but it's something that we outwork together in a local church community. And uh, a local church community is a community of worship. You could draw a circle around all of those kind of things. Worship is what brings us together. What's worship? Worship is to, to honor God, to lift God, to, to place God as first in our lives. It's not simply to sing songs. It's the totality of our lives lived in a way that is faithful to God. So we're a worshiping community. But as a worshiping community, we're called to discipleship, to growing. We're called to community. And when I say community, I'm imagining like, imagine a circle of people looking inwards. We're called to, to look in on one another. We're a participatory community, a one another community. Love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, admonish one another, pray for one another. We're a one another community. That's the idea of the circle looking inwards. But we're a mission community as well, and that's the idea of the circle looking outwards. And that's a bit what we're going to unpack uh, in terms of uh, some of the vision stuff for St. Luke's. I don't want to run ahead to that, but if you were to make those circles different sizes, probably the discipleship circle, the, the learning and rediscovering faith and what it means to follow Jesus and concepts and, and growing. We're, we're probably a big circle in terms of discipleship. It's a real strength. But these other ones are probably things that we could explore, and there's some opportunities to strengthen up some of that. So that's kind of like framework. That's a framework of thinking about what we're doing in life, what we're, what we're doing. We're, we're, we have burning bush experiences. We have tough trenches. Sometimes it's in the middle. All of it's a place to be attentive and to, 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 to commit to grow, to be holy, whole, and wholesome, to be faithful in history-making acts of excellence, all this kind of thing, to, to live this life of faith where we're, we're, we're paying attention to the gospel story. We're living the gospel story. We're trusting ourselves 
We're allowing our imaginations to be captured not by Netflix, but by the big story of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're allowing that to then go, well, I'm going to have to practice that and enact that and do something with it and to be somebody of faith, and we'll do that in the church context. Now, I could zoom in on any of that. We could do a four-week series on any piece of that kind of puzzle. We could do a, we do a four-week series on uh, whole, holy, to grow holy, whole, and wholesome. What is it to be holy? Because uh, in the 80s, to be holy was just to not do lots of things, like um, the movies and cards and alcohol and fun and everything. Like, that was what it was to be holy. But we're called to be separate from the world, but not segregated from the world. So maybe somehow we've got a few things. So we could, we could explore holy. We could explore what is it to be wholesome? What is it to love one another? What is it to lead in a manner that serves one another rather than, rather than um, dictates to one another? What, what's, what does wholesome leadership look like versus, uh, versus uh, power-tripping leadership? Or what does it mean to, to, to work on the shadow self? Or what does it mean to to realize there's hurt and there's pain and there's heartache that, you know, uh, hurting people hurt often. So what is it to grow whole kind of thing, to, to then be more wholesome? So we could zoom on on any of those kinds of things and have a great time. I want to zoom in on practice this morning. We're going to zoom in on practice. Like I said, I, I don't have anything new to say. I just want to remind you of some things, practice. The term practice, you could say rule of life. Rule of life is a, is a spiritual discipline that's existed for probably close to 2,000 years, and you have a rule of life already. You have a, probably an unspoken rule of life, I hope. I hope there's some things that you've committed to as a rule for your life, such as uh, not embezzling funds. So there you go. That's a good one. Now, you might not have sat down with a blank piece of paper and gone, I need, some, I need to give, not embezzling funds. Do I put that on my rule of life or do I not? I mean, I just hope unconsciously that's kind of the, you know, not murdering your neighbor. Again, you probably didn't write that down on a piece of paper, but you've, you've probably already to come, come to embrace that as a, I will not do that. Um, with your kids, you're probably weighing it up at times and you're like, oh, you know, so, so there's rules of life. There's ways of organizing your life and there's these, all, there'll be all sorts of things on it that are on it without you realizing that it's on it kind of thing. But as well, there's probably times where you need to sit down and go, well, actually, what are the things that I explicitly need to put on there? And that might be things like, well, with my spouse, I'm just going to make it a rule never to raise my voice with my spouse. Like that, we've got a, we've got a Labrador? We'll raise our voice with a Labrador. We, we won't raise our voice with the spouse. That, I reckon that would be a good rule. Now, for some, that might be like, why do you need to even write that down? That goes without saying. For others, it might be, eh, I should probably put that down, and then it's like, yeah, mind you, he or she could put that down too kind of thing, but, but, but that becomes a rule of life. There's these, these, these things that you put down to, to, to shape you, to guide you. So these are practices, rules of life. They can be things like, um, you know, they can be things like how often you attend church. That could be a rule of life. You go, for our family, we want to be at church this many Sundays out of 52 kind of thing, and you work out what your rule of life is. What are we going to do with our money? Oh, well, we're going to give this, or we're going to help people with it. And you make a little rule, even when it's tough. This is what we'd like to do with our finances. Or, or what is, um, yeah, there's all sorts of things that you can make a rule of a life for. And often they're around when you give, when you pray, when you fast, because Jesus just assumes that you'll give, you'll pray, you'll fast. So you make a little rule. What does that look like for me? The reason it's called a rule is because you recognize it might not always be easy, but you make it a rule, and it, and it kind of gives shape to things. And, and so you can have a rule of life, you can have practices. We, we, you could talk about spiritual disciplines. 
Uh, you could talk about healthy habits. You could talk about embodied fidelity. You could talk about love of neighbor. You could talk about faithful witness. You could unpack practices in any of those ways because all of those things are the way that we, we put hands and feet to our actual faith. So I want to look at practices a little bit in each of those kind of terms. Rule of life, spiritual disciplines, healthy habits, embodied fidelity, love of neighbor, faithful witness. They all capture a different element of what it is to, to practice this Christian living. Specifically, though, I want to encourage you in relation to your attentiveness to the voice of God in your life. That's the one little thing I want to remind you of this morning. As we continue our journey into the new year, to be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. These scriptures that I read out, be still and know that I am God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to me and find rest for your soul. Seek him, reach for him. He's not far from anyone. They invite us to engage in practices that assume if we tune in, somehow God meets us, whispers, speaks to us, draws near, near to us, is present to us. There's an expectation that we can look for the whisper of God in our lives and hear the whisper of God in our lives. Now, this, of course, is a great mystery, but 2,000 years of church history kind of bears it out as true, and your story will no doubt bear it out as true, that you, you can tune in and hear the whisper of God in our lives. Exodus 3, we started with that a couple of weeks ago, the burning bush. The burning bush, if you read Exodus 3 and you, you just go slowly there, the way the story is told, what's amazing in Exodus 3 is that there's a bush that's on fire, and it's not consumed. That's the bit that is amazing. The bit that's not amazing is that the voice of the Lord was speaking from the burning bush. Just the way the story reads, it's like, yeah, no, there's this bush, and like God was speaking out of it. But pay attention. Like it wasn't even being burnt up. And I'm like, hang on a minute. God was speaking in an audible voice out of the bush. Isn't that the part of the story that is like, that's amazing. It's like, no, the way the story goes, it's like, no, the burning bush is the bit that's like a bush that's on fire that doesn't get burned up. That's really unusual. Oh, but God's speaking. No, no, that, that kind of happens. And so you read through the Old Testament, and you realize, oh, no, this audible voice of God thing happens from time to time in people's worlds. It's, like, it's actually the burning bush bit that's a one-off thing. The audible voice of God, no, that happens at different times. And then you hang out with some Christian folks, and you do your life and all this, and you discover different people at different times have got these weird and wonderful stories of feeling like they heard the audible voice of God. I don't have that story to tell you. I haven't, haven't had a moment like that. I'm not hanging out for a moment like that or, or not hanging out for it. It's not like on my list of like, God, when am I going to? It's just, I don't have that story, but different ones have that story. So it turns out that it's not the audible voice that's shocking. It's the burning bush. Nevertheless, the audible voice thing's still a bit of a rarity as well. Why doesn't God do more audible voices from fiery shrubs? That's a question I have. <laughs> I don't know. Why not more floating axe heads? Why not more talking donkeys? That's what I say. Why not more talking donkeys? Well, my guess is that the novelty of each would wear off pretty quick. After a while, we'd go, oh, no, it's normal in life for bushes to burn but not be consumed, and a voice speaks out of them, and it's annoying. After a while, we'd just get, oh, axe heads float. It's just, that's just the way the universe works, and we'd kind of like stop paying attention. Oh, yeah, donkeys talk. Oh, you can never get Eeyore to shut up. Good on you kind of thing. 
like eat or should be shot, shot kind of thing. Like we, we'd actually get, we'd, we'd become comfortable with it. It would get normal. We, we would pay scant attention. You know, shut up, Eeyore, I'm trying to watch the news. It's like, but because donkeys don't talk, if a donkey did talk, we'd, that would blow our minds. But if donkeys always talked, after a while we'd put the donkeys down and get horses because they don't talk and it's less annoying. Imagine if tomorrow a cloud formation came into being above the mount. And it was just, it was in italics. It was text in italics, just above the mount. Just like maybe 200 meters above the mount, there's this cloud formation. Just kind of comes clear as anything. Uh, Hello, in capital letters, and then from God. Hello, from God. This, This cloud formation that appears above the mount, 200 meters above the mount. Wow, man. Rather than... Tens of people climbing the mountain each day. You'd have thousands of people climbing each day to have a look at it. You'd have news crews from around the world would come. You'd have helicopters circling around looking at this cloud. You'd have scientists from all the major universities would come, and they'd be like, hello, from God, in a cloud, above the mountain, and it's not moving. It'd blow your mind. And then after about a year, when the scientists conclude, we have no scientific explanation for this. This is unusual. This is a phenomenon that we cannot, we think it's the cumulus and the nimbulus and the this and the that and then El Nino and Nino and, and, and Elmo and all these things. <laughs> We've not been able to conclude what it is. We're like, whoa, that must be God saying hello from God in a cloud above the mount. And then we'd carry on with our lives. It, you know, the people selling the candy floss that says hello from God, they'd sell a lot for a while down the bottom. The, the hello from God fridge magnets, they'd, they'd sell for a while and... But after two years, oh, yeah, there's a cloud always above the mount that says hello from God, and we, we wouldn't think, we wouldn't, we'd stop paying attention to it. It'd just be normal. Just there's a cloud up there that says hello. Even if it wasn't a cloud, even if it was electric lights that flashed at night. After a couple of years, we go, oh, yeah, no, there's electric lights that float up there that say hello from God, and no one knows how they got there. And we just we'd carry on. It would just become normal. It would become the thing. It, it, it wouldn't bring revival and save the whole world. We can't explain that. Carry on with life. It just wouldn't have the effect that we often think it would. So God doesn't seem to do those things. They seem to be very rare. I've never seen, I've actually never seen God, hello, from God in the clouds. So. Though, if you've eyes to see it, and you stand on a sunset or a sunrise and you look at the clouds, kind of feel like God's saying, hello, from God, in the clouds already. But we don't pay attention to that either. We just kind of ignore that. But it seems that the still small voice that whispers in, that, that seems to be the consistent and the normal and the expected thing. On the road to Emmaus, a couple of travelers were walking and talking with Jesus, and they didn't realize, and Jesus ended up staying with them, and they had dinner with Jesus, and then Jesus left. And then after a while they go, when we were talking to him, were not our hearts strangely stirred? Other translations say, did not our hearts burn within us? And that seems to be far more common. And yet, even then, the text frames it as a question. Were not our hearts strangely stirred? I don't know. There was a guy from Italy selling pizza. I've never had pizza before. It could have been that. Did not our hearts burn within us? This is what they say. But it's still a question. There's still this sense of maybe our hearts were strangely stirred. 
Maybe our hearts did burn within us. And they're concluding that on Tuesday and Wednesday. But maybe Tuesday and Wednesday, the next week, they're like, I think my heart was strangely stirred. It kind of burnt within me. And then maybe a month later, they're like, I don't know. Maybe my heart was strangely stirred. I can't tell you. It was burnt. You know, it's still, there seems to be this element of mystery to it. That even the text puts it, frames it as a question. Rather than, our hearts were definitely strangely stirred and our hearts burnt within us. That was God speaking. The text doesn't put it like that. We're not our hearts strangely stirred. I know from my story, I know from journeying with people, I think the healthiest thing to say is, I feel like my heart was strangely stirred. I'm pretty sure that was the voice of God. And I know, and I'm going to share a couple in a minute, a few years later, you're like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure like that. It's still burning. Other ones, you're like, I don't know. I think that was what I wanted to hear. When I pray to the Lord that if she was the one I was to marry, that should have a pink top on on Sunday, and she had a pink top on, I'm pretty sure that was the voice. I, was like, I don't know if you can pray that prayer, to be honest. Back in the day, I, I did pray that prayer, though. seems to be that's the more normal thing, the whisper of something in our hearts. In the old days with telephones, um, they didn't have the name and a photo didn't come up on the screen. I remember trying to explain to my kids what phones did in the old days, and they're like, what else did they? I'm just talking about when I was young, not when some of you were young, like even, you know, when you had to like, well, is that the operator? Yeah, can you plug me into Steve? And they're like, which Steve? And it's like, you know, and if everyone picked up the phone at the same time, you could all hear, not those days, not, and not the beep, beep, doop, beep, 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 doop, not those days, but even just my days. So like, you could talk to people. Yeah, what else could you do? Yeah, nothing. You could just talk to people. Well, what was the point in having a phone then? That, that was, that's the... But in the old days, there's no caller ID, there's no digital or whatever. And so people would introduce themselves. Hello, Joseph speaking, or whatever kind of thing. Sometimes. Um, with the girlfriend I had at the time, who's turned out to be my wife, the phone would ring at a certain time, and you kind of expect, you say, hello, hello, what are you up to? And you, an introduction was not required because you actually learnt the voice of the person on the other line. Uh, my daughter rang yesterday. She rang my phone, but Lisa answered. She goes, Hello. <laughs> Dad, I need blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> this is Lisa. Why? And like, she, okay, thank you. And she didn't realize that. She'd never talked to me. It was mum. <laughs> but when you didn't have any of that kind of technology, you learned the other person's voice. But what would happen is every now and then, like, you know, somebody like, hi, it's John here. It's like, that's not John. I know John's voice. It's like, it's this, it's John. It's like, shush, I know it's you, Caleb, kind of thing. And you, and you actually would learn the sound of people's voice. And you could tell. I think that's the best analogy I can give to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Over time, you begin to discern and know and feel, you know, she's definitely the one you'll marry. And you're like, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I think that's all your best wishes. But then over time, you begin to discern. I think, I think that that might, I, was not my heart strangely stirred? Did not my heart burn within me? You actually begin to learn that. And that seems to be this consistent story of Christianity. That if we pause and slow down and tune in, there's not a bush that's not consumed. There's not clouds in the sky. There's not pillars of fire by night. But there's this voice that whispers. And we slowly begin to pay attention. The phone takes different shapes and forms, though. I, I, I'm just going to share a couple of little stories. 
uh, not of like things that were said last week, but of these things that kind of I felt like God was speaking to me about years ago that still ring true today. Remember the first time I heard somebody preach from Proverbs 4 verse 18. The path of the just or the path of the righteous is like the shining sun that grows ever brighter unto the glory, glorious new day or the fullness of day. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that God was, was quickening something to me, speaking something to me, whispering something. Hey, walk the way of righteousness. Walk the way of justice and watch over the long term as, as, as it leads into a fullness of life. Well, this was 25 years ago, roughly. I would have been 19, 20, I guess, at the time. 23 years ago, something like that. And I just knew that I knew that that, that scripture had just been like, circled like we've circled practice all the other text was in white but that one was in yellow and so the other day at the pastor's thing we were at somebody was like um oh there's that verse. i don't know where it is the path of the just like, oh that's probably four verse 18 and people are like man you know your bible and I, I didn't i just know that verse but i didn't tell them that i said like, yeah i know where it all is <laughs> uh, that and john three sixteen. but after that i need it <laughs> the book of hezekiah hang on a minute there is no hezekiah Path of the just, I can remember that coming alive to me. I remember that I, I heard Deuteronomy 28 verse 6 preach, you, you'll be blessed when you go out, and you'll be blessed when you come in. And I can remember just the sense that God was saying something to me about when you leave the house and you go into your day, you, you'll go into that with a sense of excitement and anticipation. But when that comes to an end, you, you'll look forward to, to to going home, to getting home. That'll be just as good. You'll you look forward to going to bed at night, but you'll look forward to waking up in the morning. And, and not every season is like that, but I've held on to that passage knowing that was something. And I have this, this sense of, man, I can't wait to get stuck in the day. And then I get about halfway through the day, I'm like, man, I can't wait to go home. That's going to be awesome. I know in life that sometimes our circumstances are like we're squealing the tires when we leave the house. We can't get away from that place quick enough. Driving the long way home from work. It's like, if I can just stretch it out an hour and a half. So there's been seasons where it's felt like that. But there's this, been this promise within. I can't tell you how many times I go to bed at night and my, kind of, my last thought is deeply spiritual, deeply spiritual. It's like, oh, I can't wait to make a coffee in the morning. <laughs> Fall asleep. There's like this, this, this looking forward to the going out and the coming in. And there was something that came alive to me and I've held on to that in good season and in bad season. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And there's been these, these seasons, there's, there's been these moments, and some of them recently, but others in days gone past longer ago, where it's like, I've got nothing. I, I just, uh, there's nothing. I just, what am I doing, doing this? I, I don't know if you've ever thought about being a pastor, but it's a weird thing to do. And there's this sense of the, this, the voice saying, hey, and, and my grace is sufficient. My power, his power, comes alive and my weakness is like, man, God, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to believe that and just come alive. I can tell you about some books I read because God, the phone is different things. Scripture is one phone. I've, I read a lot of books. You don't remember everything about books, but I read a book by Craig Van Gowder called The Essence of the Church. And I read that in 1999, I think. And I can tell you that he talks about the church. He says, hey, when we talk about the church, we can talk about the nature of the church we can talk about the organization of the church, and we can talk about the ministries of the church. And then he said, the problem is we mostly talk about the ministries and then a little bit about the organization, and we take the nature of the church for granted. We should always start our conversations at the other end. And that, that just went, 
And that has stuck with me ever since. When we start St. Luke's, what's the nature of the church? What's the nature? And that's why you can end up with churches with amazing ministries, well-organized, and totally failing to be the church and to reflect what it is that they're supposed to reflect. Start with the nature of the church, and you might discover, well, it's a lot less organized than we thought it would be, and some ministries come and go. And yet, remarkably, it's what God's called it to be. That just has stuck with me forever. I read a book, started last year. Eugene, I read Eugene Peterson every Christmas. Over that Christmas holiday break, I read one of his books last year, and he wrote, he wrote in that book, um, it's, it takes a lot more faith for pastors to do nothing for six months when they're not sure what to do than it does to just start something. And I was like, that's so true. It's easy to start things. I've got about a thousand things we could start. But when you're not quite sure what the right thing is at the right time, it takes a lot more faith just to sit there and do nothing. And over the course of last year, I didn't quite have language. I didn't quite have a sense. I wasn't quite sure what the next piece of the puzzle was for St. Luke's. So what I thought we'd do is we'd start, no, nothing. Let's sit, be still. And that book was really helpful just to go, just keep going. Just do what you're doing. But what about, you know, people will get bored if we don't start something new. No, no, just sit still. I was like, that was so helpful. Robert Farrah Capone is one of my favorite writers because I read a lot of theology and not much of it makes you laugh. But he makes you laugh from start to finish, so that, that's good. But he talked about in our priestly vocation, I've already talked a lot about the, the, the arc of the story is that God's restoring us to be a kingdom of priests and our priestly vocation and all these kinds of things. I've done a lot of teaching from Genesis. But he reminded me and he, and he brought to life that one of the priestly vocations is to offer the world around you. To God. What is it to offer the world around you to God? It's to lift the world around you in some way, shape, or form. And we're all called to be priests. It's all of us are called to lift the world around us in some way, shape, or form. And that has never left me. I think that's probably where um, faithful in moments of history-making excellence comes from. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. T to be priestly, to reflect God, is to lift the world around us as an offering to God. Books, this, this voice of the Holy Spirit. People say things every now and then. Isla said to me after her first Sunday here at St. Luke's, she said, um, that was good. I'll give you another chance. I'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, Isla, who are you? Uh, I, I just had never met Isla before. On the second Sunday, Isla said to me, that was good as well. Two out of two is not bad. We'll see what next Sunday's like. And I was like, well, I, at least I know who you are. You're Isla from last Sunday. On the third Sunday, Isla said to me, I really like this church. It's, uh, it's uh, peaceful intelligent, and Christ-focused. And I was like, oh, I've been trying to build a peaceful, intelligent, Christ-focused church since we started, and you've just said that is. And what a word of encouragement that was to me in that moment. It's like, we're, we're, we're in line with that, which I felt we're a peaceful, intelligent, Christ-focused church. I was so encouraged. Sussing me out is what she said. And then she said, there's a lot of young men here, so I'm never leaving. And I was like... <laughs> And then she said, because it's good and healthy to have young men in church with family and kids. I was like, okay, gotcha. Eliafia <laughs> uh, Sarah is, a, is the a pastor in the Assemblies of God Church, and I'm part of the executive movement that leads that. But he said to me one day, he goes, you know, you make really complicated things sound quite simple. I was like, oh. I was like, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's, I'm called to do that. That's... That's, I can't necessarily like, get the people to make some noise. Like, no matter what I do, I don't think Liam's going to be standing up and hollering by the end of the Sunday. But I can, I can take 
complicated things and hopefully make them simple. And it, felt like, it just felt like this affirming voice of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that's what you need to do that. that, that you should pay attention to doing that and not worrying about these other things. Steve Reed said to me one time, um, I said I was, I was working on trying to be slow, trying to be less hurried. And he goes, well, thank goodness for that, because the last thing we need is a hurried pastor. He said, the rest of us are hurried enough. Don't you be hurried. You slow down. And again, it just felt like, oh, that, I feel like that's what God has called me to be and to do. And then to have Steve verbalize that was just like, I think the Holy Spirit is whispering something. It's that still, small voice of the Lord. Songs are songs by your side, 99. I just remember when that song came out, I just want to be with you. Be where you are. Dwell in your presence, oh God. Be by your side forevermore. And I just knew that I knew that that was something that has framed my story, framed my life. We sing that song, oh God. Oh God, I bring to you my plan of escape. And I remember the first time we sang that, I was like, oh, oh, that's harsh. It's this bugle. It's like such the gentlest song, but like, oh God, I bring to you my plan of escape. That's a big line to sing because I think we all have our little, our little plans of escape, our little, not actually, like, but a, you know, our briefcase with eight passport, passports, a, a semi-automatic and $10,000, metaphorically speaking. We have our plans of escape for whatever it might be. It's like, yeah, get, there's no second options in following Jesus. Put that aside. Get, get rid of the plan of escape. And I just, man, that, is, that was God's right thing at the right time. We sing that song, the, the old hymn, It Is Well. It is well, it is well with my soul. And we, we sang that in a particular moment where suddenly it took on new meaning to me. But it stuck with me for years and years, ever since every time that song is sung. There's this this sense of no matter what I'm going through, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, I could tell you a thousand other Christian choruses that we sing. We only got 10 kids once, but a thousand others. But those are the ones that have stuck with me for like 20 years, 10 years, five years. There was something in that moment that we weren't just singing a song. God was whispering something. I've read, I don't know, I read 45 books a year or something. I could tell you about other books. But there was something in those three books and those three lines in those three books that were, that was God whispering something in a moment. I've read the Bible, I don't know how many times, and different things stand out, but I can tell you about those verses. And that in that moment, God was whispering something that has stuck with me ever since. And then there's different things that help you in the week or help you in the month, and then you kind of forget about it. And I think they're of God as well, but there's these other things that, just was not my heart strangely stirred, did not my heart burn within. Different practices I want to remind you on the next slide. Just as we get, Lent is nearly upon us. I know it takes forever to Advent to come around, but Lent is just like, you blink, Lent's there. 40 days of fasting, of prayer, of letting go as we, as we get ready for Easter. It's a season where you're invited to be intentional in your devotion, intentional in your Christian practices. I just want to suggest a couple of things. Well, Lent starts Ash Wednesday, 22nd of February, so a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that arrow didn't come up in the graphics very well. Note to self. With our spirituality, my experience over time is that it needs to be prescribed and designed. My experience with a gym program, a gym membership, is it needs to be prescribed and designed. My experience with a running plan to run a marathon, it needs to be prescribed and designed. And you live faithful to that. 
And after a while, what was prescribed and designed ends up becoming intuitive and integrated. And you tweak it a little bit, and you make it suit you a little bit more. And you don't have to do that much on shoulders. You're doing a little bit more on back, or you're not doing so much hill reps. You're doing a little bit of length, or whatever it might be. Or, oh, man, I'm not doing so much um, prayer in that way, but I'm doing scripture reading. You know, it needs to be prescribed and designed. But over time, it becomes intuitive and integrated, and, and, and you, you tweak it all to be your thing. But then I've discovered after a while, we also become lazy and lost. How's the gym thing going? The one that became so intuitive and integrated into your life. It's like, wow, it's become very unintuitive and unintegrated into my life at the moment. It's like, well, how do you get back onto it? You carry on that way around the circle rather than trying to... How's that? How, you man, you were telling me last Lent how you'd given up this and given up this and you'd taken up... Man, how's that? Oh, yeah... No, it's been a while since I did those. Okay, maybe it's time to kind of, kind of get into that. And you're all old enough and smart enough and wise enough to know what that might look like. But I want to suggest that maybe there's something here that needs to be prescribed or um, designed for you, or you, you just kind of take your cue off that. Here's just a couple of suggestions as we get close to Lent and draw close to this morning. Silence and solitude. What silence and solitude? Just get a notebook and a pen and nothing else and go and sit somewhere quietly and say, God, can you whisper? What tends to happen is when we're silent is that the stuff that we suppress with the busyness of life or that is suppressed or the voice of the spirit that is suppressed tends to bubble up. And at first it can be quite uncomfortable because you realize that your busyness stops you from having to deal with A, B, C or X, Y, Z or think about one, two, three or whatever it might be. And that's kind of uncomfortable kind of, you, you, you sit through that and then you discover that God's whispering. You write a few things down. So maybe it's that you need to just practice some silence and solitude. Getting away, being still. Maybe that's the thing for you. Prayer and fasting, old school. Well, that's the main invitation of Lent. What are you going to fast? What are you going to give up? What do you need to lay down? Is there something that has crept in to just take a, a bit too much space in your world at the moment? Could be actual food, could be caffeine, could be social media, could be news apps, could be your phone in general. And I've found every Lent, if I just sit and be still for a moment, it becomes pretty clear what it is I should probably give up for this Lent kind of thing. And it's never the same thing, always something different. These things that, oh yeah, there's a little bit of an old over-reliance or an over-indulgence on that. I'd probably need to, what would it look like you to be more prayerful through the season of Lent? to carve out a bit of time for prayer or to pray set prayers or to do something just to maybe that's the thing for you coffee and conversations that's for the extroverted people who don't like it when I just give introverted things <laughs> who could you meet up with and just have coffee with once a week not to talk about what's the best Netflix series you've been watching but rather to say feel like God's been saying anything or how do you hear from God or whatever it might be so maybe you just need to meet at a cafe and make sure you just ask good questions about what it is to follow Jesus. And you process some things verbally. And you come out of the end of it going, I didn't even know I thought that. And now I realize I, not only do I think that, I've got a deep conviction about that. I'm going to do that. Coffee and conversations. Scripture and a highlighter. Scripture and a highlighter. I couldn't find my Bible the other day. Uh, I just couldn't find any of my Bibles. I've got about five of them. And I, couldn't, I, I, not a, I have five Bibles. One's packed away. I have four. 
couldn't find it anywhere. And it reminded me of that song from 99 or 2000. Said on Sunday how much I want revival. But then on Monday, can't even find my Bible. And I was like, I can't find it anyway. Mainly because I use a digital one, but then I found it. Maybe you need to get your Bible and highlight. Some of you don't realize, actually, you can get printed ones. They don't just exist on a phone. But Read the gospel. Read one of the gospels. But read it for all of Lent. Read it through five or six times in Lent. Maybe each time you read it through, get a different colored highlighter and notice the different things that stand out. And you might discover, man, I think the Holy Spirit's whispering something to me in this moment. Reading and reflection. Get a devotional or a book of some sort. Read through that. I don't need to unpack them any more than that. My, my, my first thought is that I think most of us, if you look at a list like that, there'll be a little one of them will kind of like bubble away and go, if, if, I, if, I, if he twisted my arm and put a gun to my head and there was mousetraps he was about to push me in and I had to pick one, that would be the one I'd pick. Probably that's the one you should pick then. I, th I think it's as simple as that. And then you just got to work out, what, what could that look like? But I just want to encourage you to practice being attentive. Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And those whispers that I've had, that you've had at different times, they hold us in good stead in the journey of life. Probably one stands out to you on that list. Pick that one. Explore that one between now and Easter. Commit to that one between now and Easter. Oh, I don't like being told what to do. No one does, but, you know, that's what, that's what, um, that's what uh, gym instructors do. There's a difference between a doctor and a personal trainer. Uh, when it comes to your health. Generally, a doctor will say, no, you're, you're really healthy. You're not about to die. And a personal trainer says, you're not very healthy. You're not really listening. And as a pastor, uh, you're not really living, sorry. As a pastor, sometimes you've got to play that doctor role and go, hey, yeah, take it easy. It's not in immediate danger. But then you've got to be more personal trainer-like and go, hey, crack the whip. Come on, stir up, stir it up, stir it up. I want to encourage you this morning to stir it up. Was not our heart strangely stirred, did not my fire, but did not my heart burn within? Here's the, our last passage of this morning, Jeremiah. I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. It's a still small voice of the Spirit that speaks, but what that still small voice whispers can burn like a fire. It can break rocks to pieces. What are the rocks? The circumstances, the doubts, the worries, the anxieties, the stresses, the lack of certainty. This word that can burn like a fire and break rocks to pieces. Pay attention and tune in. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer this morning. As you go this morning, may you be stirred to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. May you be stirred to slow down, to take time, to tune in to the ever-whispering voice of the Holy Spirit. As you go this morning with a fresh commitment to silence and solitude, 
prayer and fasting, coffee and conversation, scripture and highlighter, reading and reflection, to discerning how you might best tune in. And as you do, may you know the whisper of heaven in your heart. May you be, may you be strangely stirred and may a fire burn within. May God grace you and keep you. And in all things, may you know the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit is your own. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Grace and peace, my brothers and sisters. Enjoy your Sunday. And over tea and coffee this morning, don't say to the person next to you, did you enjoy that? Because who really cares? (laughs) Say to them, which one on the list do you think you maybe need to explore? And enjoy your tea and coffee. Grace and peace. Have a great Sunday.